All right, you guys ready? Ready to hear the word? If you have your Bibles, which you should have, go over and turn to Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. And while you're turning there, let me kind of set things up for you. Uh, this is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to try to make it a little bit more conversational than some of the other preaching that I've done. But in going through this passage of Scripture, um, let's set it up a little bit with the way that you approach it, with the way of your thinking. And what I'm getting at is this. We're going to read from the Gospel of Luke. Now, a lot of times uh, we dive right into it, you know, and we start just going after Scripture. But I want you to sit back a little bit in your mind and think about what the Gospel of Luke is. We call it a gospel, but it is basically a letter, a narrative written by Luke the physician. Now, one thing about uh, the gospels, the epistles, actually all the writings in the Bible is that they were written by different men here, there, and everywhere. And think about your own writing a minute. When you sit down and you write a letter, you write something um, that you are going to be purposeful with, intentional writing. You sit down and the words that you write carry your personality, carry your vocabulary, your point of view, your perspective, what you're trying to get over to your reader. The thing is, the Gospels and the Epistles, uh, Book of Revelation, Book of Daniel, they all do the very same thing. We forget, or we don't even think about the fact that uh, there is a plot in the Bible. And what you have is all these different kinds of writers get different facets of revelation of redemption. And what the Lord does is he inspires them to write different facets of the revelation of redemption, and he uses their personalities. He uses the way they write, the, the way they use vocabulary, um, the emphasizing of some facts over de-emphasizing others. What? To get the point across. To show the importance of some things and the non-importance or the, uh, you know, how some things are not all that important. And I want you to think about those things as we go through this account of a man named Simeon. Now, we're going to have two things going on. One is Luke's underlying plot of what he's trying to show in this pericope of Scripture. The second thing is, it's about a man named Simeon. And I want you to see, I want you to understand or look at the man and how he is operating with the Spirit of God upon him. Because what we see with Simeon is very far afield from the way that moving with the Spirit is preached today. And so what we want to do is we want the Scriptures to speak to us on how we are supposed to walk in the ways of the Lord, the way He operates. Because a lot of times, frankly, uh, we choose to operate certain ways and we want the Lord to kind of back us up, you know, we decide that we're going to do a YouTube platform. We're going we're gonna to do all these grandiose things. And then we pray about it and say, well, Lord, you know, I want to do all this stuff. And we 
basically are asking him to back us up with some kind of so-called success. When frankly, it should be the other way around. It should be where we seek the face of the Lord and we seek his direction because we'll see with Simeon, he operates very differently than how the world operates. He moves on his people very differently than what you see with just the crowd. So if you're there, let's kind of dive into it. It's Luke 2. Let's start with verse 25. And I'm going to be reading from the King James. Um, It's a little bit archaic, but we'll get through it. But I like the King James because it's pretty faithful to the Greek text. Some of the modern translations take a little bit too many liberties with the actual wording, the vocabulary of the gospel writers, and they, you know, like one pluralizes the singular and all that kind of stuff. So uh, bear with me as we go through the King James. Now Luke writes this in verse 25. He says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Now, let's kind of flesh that out a little bit because you're going to see just from this small account of this man named Simeon just how chock full the revelation of redemption is. I mean, you when you really get into the Bible, it's kind of like how in the world did these guys get so inspired to write how they wrote out these gospels, these epistles, because they're so full of different facets of redemption. Here, Luke writes and says, there's a man in Jerusalem. And you know, that's all he says about him. There's a man in Jerusalem. He doesn't say that Simeon was famous. He didn't have, he wasn't a big YouTube platform or anything. You get the sense from Luke that he's a pretty nondescript man, almost like an anonymous Simeon living in this big city of Jerusalem. Very understated. Think about that a minute, you know, and there, behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and, you know, uh, reading this, it's like, really? You know, never heard of the guy. Who's this guy? And you're, you're going to see that the Lord does something amazing with him, even though he's basically no-name Simeon living in Jerusalem. And Luke goes on and says, and the same man was just and devout. Now, I wasn't going to say anything about this, but I might as well bring it up this morning. Many times in preaching today, there's this kind of string of preaching where preachers say that God doesn't like religious people. You know, the Pharisees were very religious, very legalistic, and God didn't like them because they're religious. Well, how do you uh, compare that kind of preaching to what you see here? It says, the same man was just and devout. That's an emphasis by Luke, because he could have just said, well, here's this no-name Simeon and just gone on with the story about Simeon, but he holds up a minute and he says, well, this man was just and devout. God does like just and devout people. When you go to the book of Acts, you, you read the story about Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion of all people, and he was just and devout, and actually he was the entree, he was the entry point for the gospel going to the Gentiles, which means outside the Jews, which means virtually all of us. 
In fact, an angel appeared to him and said, God has remembered your prayers and your alms. And Cornelius, before that time, was kind of like a no-name guy himself. No-name, you know, no-name Cornelius, just some Roman centurion, which there were thousands of them, but he was a devotee of the Lord. So here you see Luke emphasizing the same man was just and devout. He was prayerful. Prayerful, understated. Then the next thing he says is waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now that's a little bit opaque to us. What's that mean? Well, when you go back to Isaiah 40, you see that the consolation of Israel really means the redemption of Israel. Um, I could read through all of Isaiah 40, uh, but you can read it yourself. You know, uh, be ye comforted, O Israel. And the whole chapter is about God coming back to Israel and redeeming the nation of Israel. Now, we understand through the revelation of redemption that he is talking about, uh, Isaiah is prophesying about the resurrection of Christ and the gospel going out to everyone. But back in the Old Testament, it was couched in terms of the nation of Israel. And here you have Simeon, this no-name guy who is waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, the implication here is that he is continually praying for that. I mean, he's not, you know, he's not uh, uncorking a beer in front of the TV saying, well, you know, I, I just don't know when, when this whole redemption thing is going to happen. I've been waiting forever. No, he's prayerful. He is looking for it with eager expectation. That is what Luke is getting over as a gospel writer. And he says, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Simeon is actually a good prototype for a New Testament believer. We are waiting for the return of what? Christ Jesus. And what does God like? He likes just and devout people. And he likes his people to be what? The Holy Ghost upon them. And let's read on. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost. Now in the Greek, Holy Ghost is actually Holy Spirit. I think, uh, you know, we're dealing with King James here back in Shakespeare's days. And, you know, they didn't want, uh, I think the translators translated Holy Ghost because they didn't want us to think that the Holy Ghost, uh, Holy Spirit was some kind of like nebulous idea. They wanted to get over the fact that the Holy Spirit was another person, and so they use ghost. You think it's Shakespeare. So anyway, um, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, now this is interesting in verse 26 because actually this is monumental. Think about what Luke has just written here, saying that Simeon, no name Simeon, a just and devout man, who's waiting for the consolation of Israel, eager expectation, probably praying all the time, quietly, to himself, without some kind of YouTube-following channel where he's you know, doing some kind of reality TV thing, where it's like, well, come into my prayer closet and watch me pray. No, he's doing it on his own. 
And somehow, some way, the Holy Ghost reveals to him that he's not going to die before he sees the Lord's Christ, God's Christ. Now, in the Greek, it's it's Christos, which you know, in the Greek, they didn't Greek didn't have the word for Messiah, but that's what the word really is. It's God's Messiah. Simeon is Jewish. He's looking for Israel's Messiah. Now. Let me throw in here that in verse 26, what you see is an operation of the Holy Spirit, something that is described in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 9, gifts of the Spirit. This is a word of wisdom. This is a word to a man about a future event, saying, hey, Simeon, you are not going to see death. You are not going to die before you see my Christ. That's the kind of thing that happens in prayer. It doesn't happen while you're doing a bunch of other things or have your mind chock full of things of the world. It's where you are just and devout. Now, the very next verse says, and he came by the Spirit into the temple. Now, let's stop here a minute and go back to verse 26. He's got a revelation by the Spirit that he is not going to die before he sees the Lord's Christ. And then the very next verse, you see, and he came by the Spirit into the temple. Now, Luke's, Luke is a very good writer. And this is where you have to see plots and you have to see timing, that kind of thing. You don't know how much time occurred between verse 26 and verse 27. I suggest to you that it's, it wasn't just a couple weeks. I mean, go back to uh, the patriarch Abraham. God appears to him at what, 70 years old? Promises him a son, and it's not fulfilled for 25, 30 years later. And in fact, Abraham gets impatient. Well, Sarah gets impatient, and they have a son, Ishmael, and God says, no, 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 that is not what I had in mind. No, I have promised you a son and a son you will have. But, but the time period was 25, 30 years. Here could be the very same thing between verse 26 and verse 27. Many times in my corner of the body of Christ, uh, I hear it all the time. People say, well, God's called me to do this and this, and things don't work out in the next two, three months, six months, and then people throw up their hands. It's like, well, you know, uh, I guess he didn't say that, or God changed his mind, or something like that. We're dealing with the Lord God Almighty. He doesn't change his mind. And if he tells somebody something, he will follow through with it. But it might not happen for one year, three years, five years, 10 years, 15, or even 20 or 30. But he will fulfill it. I imagine that it was years and years and years, maybe decades of years between verse 26 and verse 27. God reveals to him, you're not going to die before you see the Christ. He might be a very, very old man by the time verse 27 comes around. And let's read all of 27. It says, and he came by the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, after the custom of the law. Now, what happens here? You see that Simeon, let's say that he is the old man. You know, he is anonymous to everybody. 
I mean, he comes into the temple. The temple was what? It was basically the capital of Jerusalem. I mean, filled with all kinds of people everywhere. And so far in Luke's narrative, he is still a pretty nondescript guy. He comes in the, into the temple. There's no entourage. It's not like there's a big meet and greet or anything like that. You have a man who comes to the temple, and then what Luke does is that he brings in Jesus' parents. And why are the parents there with Jesus? They are there to have him circumcised according to the Torah, according to the Old Testament on the eighth day. Now, you, you, look, at, you look at verse 27, and you see, you know, to some people who aren't in the Spirit, it would seem like such a coincidence, but the Lord really does know what he's doing. It must have been that sometime... Um, the Lord told Simeon, maybe while he was in prayer, he said, get yourself to the temple. A lot of times when the Lord speaks this way by operation of the Spirit, he, it's, it's in a quick manner to us. You know, it's like, well, get yourself to the temple now. It's not that it's calendar three months from now. Well, three months from now, Simeon, why don't you go to the temple and then I'll tell you what to do. So it said it came by the Spirit into the temple when his parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law. And then verse 28, you see that Luke cuts to the chase here. He's a writer. And he says, then he took, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, now this is Simeon. He goes back to Simeon and Simeon sees somehow, he sees Jesus's parents and he sees Jesus. And Luke doesn't give a, a, actually any explanation. He cuts to the chase and all of a sudden you see this older man taking this little eight-day-old baby up in his arms and we're going to see what he says. But imagine the scene here. To everybody else, it might seem kind of weird. You know, here is this, this stranger who comes into the temple, and all of a sudden he takes one baby. There might have been several. There might have been a dozen to be circumcised that day, and he picks out one, and he takes the baby in his arms. And what's he say? And he says this apparently in front of everybody. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. What's he saying there in this old English? He's saying, you know, Lord, now you can let me die because you have fulfilled your promise to me. What, what was promised? It was by revelation of the Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ. Here's an eight-day-old baby and he lifts him up in his arms and he said, well, I can depart now because you have fulfilled your promise. Here is your salvation. Basically, he's saying, this is the Messiah. Now, we know from Luke's narrative, let's turn our attention over to Mary and Joseph. Think about Mary a minute. You know, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit overshadows her and she becomes pregnant. Uh, 
You don't know what the conversations are between her and Joseph, but Joseph was going to put her away because why? Well, she's pregnant and she hasn't, they haven't consummated the relationship at all. They went through, uh, they went through um, having to go to Bethlehem and there wasn't any room at the inn. All this stuff that they have gone through, the appearance of angels and all of that, and then this stranger comes up in the temple, lifts up their baby and says, now I have seen your salvation. Well, that's confirmation to them, yet again, that this is a supernatural baby. You know, Mary wasn't out of her mind. In fact, it's probably a huge relief to Joseph because, you know, think about what he has to go through. He had the shame of, what, marrying Mary, who had become pregnant. And in a way, I, he's, he's, he's a father of a child that he did not, um, that's not his kid. But then he has his stranger in the temple lift up his son and declare him to be Israel's Messiah. So cool, so cool. Now, let's go to verse 31, and this is still Simeon speaking. He says, which you have prepared before the face of all people. Now, what Simeon is doing there is, is he's prophesying. He's prophesying about the Lord's Messiah, and he's saying, you have, you have prepared what? Your Messiah before the face of all people. This is public. You're not doing it in secret, but this is public, meaning what? That the whole world is responsible for God sending his son into the earth. Now, the next statement that Simeon makes is very provocative. And you wouldn't know this except for reading what the plot of the revelation of redemption because here is Simeon, he's a Jew, and so far the gospel has been shut up to the Jews. It hasn't gone out throughout the whole world. It's, it's been monopolized by the Jews, and that's one reason why you see Jesus going toe-to-toe with the Pharisees time and time again, because that's what Israel was doing. It was keeping the gospel to herself. But here you see Simeon speaking by the Spirit, and he says, A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. He sums up the gospel right there. This Jewish Messiah, this little baby, he's going to be a light to lighten the Gentiles. The gospel is going to come to everybody. And it's going to come through a Jewish Messiah. And what Simeon says is, this Messiah is going to be the glory of thy people Israel. And what he says, he encapsulates the fact that Israel was the means of getting the Messiah into the earth. You know, we have a lot of preaching about some end time things with the Jews and all that. said, actually, the purpose of the Jewish people was to get the Messiah into the earth so God could save the whole world. And, you know, that is what, that's kind of like a thousand more podcasts to actually flesh out. But Simeon 
says it by the Spirit in just one line. And then notice verse 33. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Again, think of Joseph and Mary. What they had been through to this point in time. And then you got this old guy who's speaking by the Spirit that of things that only they themselves knew or just a few other people. They didn't know who Simeon was. Simeon actually didn't probably didn't even know who they were because the Lord just revealed to him, I'm going to show you who my Messiah is. He, the Lord didn't say, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to show you the Messiah and then I'm going to take you down and I'll, sh- you know, I'll tell you who Joseph is. I'm going to introduce you to Mary and then the whole extended family and blah, blah, blah. No, it was just a word of wisdom about the Messiah. And verse 34 goes on, And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. What's he saying? Well, there's going to be many in Israel who are against him. And we see that all through the Gospels, don't we? We see that the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests are against him 100%. But then we also see in the Gospels that there are those who believe on him. And so what Simeon is doing is he's prophesying by the Spirit, and he's prophesying to Mary right there. Now notice what he says in verse 35. In speaking to Mary, he says, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. Now think about that statement a minute. He basically turns to Mary and says, well, a sword's going to go through your heart too. And you think, how in the world can that be? This guy just said that this kid, this little baby, is Israel's long-awaited Messiah that, you know, promised for 2,000 years. He's speaking by the Spirit. How in the world would he say, turn to the mother and say, a sword's going to go through your heart? That would be the last thing on anybody's mind, wouldn't it? I mean, here's the, here's the Savior of the world right here, right here, this little baby. But Simeon speaks by the Spirit, and he says, no, there's going to be a sword going through your heart to his mom. Think about that, about Mary. You know, Gabriel appears to her and says, blessed are you among women, You know, you're going to have a child, and the child's going to save his people. And, you know, uh, you have all that. She's pregnant supernaturally. Carries the, the baby to term, follows the law. They're there in the temple. They're there in Israel's temple. And then this guy, from out of nowhere says, oh yeah, there's going to be a sword that pierces your heart too. And you know those words came back to Mary when she was watching Jesus being crucified at Calvary. You know that that was something. And maybe that's one reason why people talk about how she never says anything. She's so quiet. Maybe she was going over these very words in her mind saying, well, you know, she's not going to speak against the Lord. She's not going to cry out against 
what was prophesied to her because she knew it was the Lord. She knew it was by the Spirit. And Simeon goes on and says that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And we see that also in Romans. Paul prophesies about that on the day, on judgment day, the hearts of men are going to be revealed. There's not going to be anything hidden. And there's not going to be anything hidden before the Lord Jesus Christ. Which is going to be a very terrifying day. A terrifying day for those who reject him. For those who decide, well, you know, God's plan isn't good enough for me. Or I don't understand it. Or, you know, he's got to prove himself more. Said no. You see, just by Simeon's prophecy, that this this Messiah is before the face of all people which means that everybody has to deal with him. Everybody has to deal with God's action in the earth to save mankind. And if you don't want to be reconciled that way, well, you're going to have to answer to the reconciler for that. And that's what Simeon prophesies here. And then guess what? Verse 36, Luke moves on to somebody else. Simeon is out of the picture now. Now, that's something I, uh, I want to kind of emphasize here in this, in this sermon, I guess. Verse 25 is the very first time that we see Simeon. First time he's mentioned. He's not mentioned in any other gospel. Nobody talks about him, you know. He has his 15 minutes of fame that actually occurred over, what, 30, 40, maybe 50 years because the Lord reveals to him that he won't die before he sees the Messiah. And then, like we talked about, the very next verse, all of a sudden the Spirit's saying, get to the temple. Now, if you want to think that that all occurred within a matter of two or three days, I guess you can. But when you go through the rest of the Gospels and the epistles, you see that uh, our timeline, the way we act things out here on the earth, is very, very different from God Almighty's. God, the one who invented time, the one who created everything, seems to go at his own pace, and it seems to be years in the making. But the interesting thing here about Simeon is he has his moment, so to speak, and then he's done, and this moment finds itself in Luke's Gospel which means that it was critically important in the gospel story, something that actually the Spirit of the Lord inspired Luke to include in his gospel. We think many times that, you know, we, we, uh, our story, our life story, has to be over the course of 30, 40, 50 years, uh, public, you know, public, in order to, quote, do something for the Lord. Here, Simeon did apparently everything in secret, except for one day. One day he goes to the temple. One day, you know, this, uh, this whole account at the temple, probably, it could have happened probably in 10 minutes or less. He sees the Lord Jesus uh, being, uh, being circumcised, goes over, lifts the baby up, gives his prophecy, and, you know, uh, Joseph and Mary are standing there kind of like, you know, in shock, uh, over what's happening, and Simeon leaves, and that's the last they see of him. 
So you get a, a sense of how the Lord works. How he works with his people is he's very, very understated. Very understated. We, we tend to think that he's over the top with everything he does, but actually this is pretty understated. And you see one thing that he does, it's so cool with Mary. You know, God Almighty, by the Spirit, by his Spirit, he, the Lord has to offer himself. Jesus has to offer himself up on the cross in accordance with Deuteronomy 21 in order for sins to be placed on him. That's known in the story of redemption. In the revelation of redemption, that is a requirement. That is why he's manifested. And that's not without grief. That's not without just a horrifying grief for his mother. And so what the Lord does is he comforts her. You might say, well, how's that a comfort? Well, that's a real comfort to her when she sees her son being crucified on a cross. And if you understand what being crucified on a cross, hung from a tree under the Old Testament, is all about, well, you certainly want some kind of comfort that the Spirit of God knows what he's doing. That this wasn't all for naught. This pregnancy, this uh, growing up, uh, with Mary and Joseph and this whole thing wasn't for nothing. And so you see by the Spirit, Simeon says, yes, the sword's going to go through your heart. But at Calvary, that, those had to be comforting words because Mary had to know that the Lord God was still at work. This was all part of him being Israel's Messiah. So that's cool. You see that just with this small... Uh, the small paracopa scripture, just how chock full it is with one, the plan of redemption and how uh, through the, the gospel writers, God weaves so much in and out of the story. And he does that with Luke. He does it with Matthew, Mark, John, Paul, Peter. So this should give us an idea of just how precious what we have in our laps is, you know, just how precious the Bible is. Because, you know, without it, without the Bible, you know, we would have this story about a Jew being crucified on a Roman cross along with two other Jews on crosses, and we really wouldn't know the, the back-end story behind it, the reason for it. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't make any sense to us. Like, well, what's the big deal with him? Well, even just with the story of Simeon, we understand more of what the cross was all about and God sending his son as Israel's Messiah to save the world. So cool. Let me end the um, sermon with a, uh, with a blessing out of Hebrews. Now, one thing, like I said, um, one thing to think about, anytime that you're reading the Gospels, you're reading the Epistles, is you think about the writer. Think about what he's trying to get over to us. You know, he is uh, strengthened. He's empowered. He's inspired by the Spirit of God, but he does have an angle. He does have a message that he's trying to get over. And you learn a whole lot more from the Bible when you think, okay, what is Luke trying to communicate to me? 
What is the writer of Hebrews trying to communicate to me? What's he trying to draw out of this revelation that he has? Why did the Spirit of God emphasize this and de-emphasize these other things? You'll get a lot more out of the Word if you, re- if you read it that way. So let me read uh, out of Hebrews 13 uh, as a benediction. Now the God of peace that is brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, may he make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless.